Welcome to Essie's Hour of Love! Episode 24! Hey, us. Hi, Grace. I think it's weird <laughs> you always say hi. Well, because I don't know if like people know I'm here. Oh. Uh, yeah. Grace is here. Hey, guys. <laughs> this week's episode 24 with guest Adrienne Scordato. Um, S, who is Atrium? She is, so she's the CEO and founder of Atrium PR mm-hmm. uh, in New York City. And she was recommended by Sandy Harari, who's, um, by the way, I, when I ask people what their favorite episode is, it's normally hers. Do you know what number it is? I think she's 16. 15, not 16. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so um, Sandy works with um, Adrian, and I think she'd heard like a snippet of her love story or like her experience with love. And she was like, oh, you should go on this podcast that I just went on. Um, so that's how we got in touch. So that's kind so of exciting. it. And I really, I went to her apartment. I also met the guy that she ends up talking about on the show and he mm. was a sweetheart. Nice. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, I think it was a goodie. Yeah. So recommending people is worth it? Recommending. Yeah, okay. definitely. Definitely. Uh, so also make sure to subscribe on iTunes, review our podcast. Follow us on Instagram and email us any recommendations for guests at essiesourablove at gmail.com. Wonderful. Enjoy. Enjoy. Loving anyway. Come and find me. I don't care. To me, I find it fascinating that you're in PR. You do? Yeah. Because I think it must be one of the toughest jobs out there in the world. You know, it's tougher now than it was when I first started. Because of social media? Because, <laughs> because the pace of news moves so quickly. Not just through social media, but also because of digital channels. Mm-hmm. So when I first started in 93... There wasn't email and the internet and all of that. I mean, it was just starting to surface, you know, in that yeah. first job a couple of years in. Um, so we didn't have it. I mean, the way we got news to the press was by fax machine. Right. And that would have been a, as a press release. Like and you- that would have been a press release. And you know what? We, we often had to wait a full week before Ad Age or Ad Week would print so now, you know, something just happens and 45 minutes later, my client's calling or my, you know, phone's ringing with a reporter calling because news is broken. And so, you know, your reaction time has to be so fast. Um, and I think also the way the world is today, there's a lot more crisis management. Right. And, um, and we need to be you know, super careful about the positioning, and which is not easy to do when it's happening at such a fast pace. And what's interesting is that, would you say, so how old were you when you first got into it? 23. And was it a natural progression? Like, how did you get into PR? My career? Um, I knew I wanted to write. So I was a journalism major and I was a very strong writer. So whatever class I would ever take in college, the professor would always write on my papers, you know, really well written. So I knew I was decent. 
at that and I wound up I wound up majoring in it thinking you know I'm fascinated by the advertising world I thought about doing copywriting as well and studied that um, earlier when I was in high school and I just wasn't sure where I would end up so I so I wound up in an advertising agency called Bozell within the PR department and what city are we in we're in New York oh great okay we're in New York and which we are right which now. Which we are right now. <laughs> and literally got my start a few blocks from here on 23rd between 5th and 6th. Um, Bozell does not exist today. Got bought by True North and folded into IPG and absorbed. Um, but that first job for me was about six years. And I started as a secretary. I left as their head of PR. It was a wild ride, really cool agency, the, the company that did all the milk mustache work oh, and wow. Chrysler Jeep and Merrill Lynch and the New York Times and Pork, the other white meat. I mean, it was just a really, really good time. And I loved it. I loved it. And I fell in love, you know, with the, the craft of PR um, and the industry of advertising. And I wound up, you know, doing several other roles um, that were similar, running corporate communications for creative agencies and then media companies. And three years ago, I founded Atrium. So when um, you, in these six years that you were at your first place and, and getting to the head of PR, mm-hmm. how would you say that the PR element of the company was respected? Like, compared to say like creatives or all the other elements of an ad agency like how did you feel that PR how did inside did people perceive it well you know it's it's interesting to do a marketing task for a marketing company right so I think there's like an innate appreciation if you're a marketer and a creative for another piece of promoting, you know, the brand or your work. And there's nothing that creatives like more than seeing their name in print and on awards and, you know, having the client call and say, wow, that was a great article. So there was love and appreciation that was very natural. Well, I also would say that the, that I first um, really appreciated PR was when I, when I realized that I wouldn't have to do it myself. Mm, mm-hmm. I think that that someone, like you said, like the creatives to have their name on it, but they didn't have to reach out and yeah. make sure that their name was in that article or people heard about them. Someone else that believes in them yes. did it. And yeah. that is such a more of a, um, I can understand that more than when you actually have to promote yourself and keep promoting yourself as well as doing your job. And, you know, it's like... A, you can't. You can't. You can't no. focus on all no. those elements. Someone, ha- someone has to do it. Um, and then I think it's a, it's a partnership, you know. So a lot of what I do is partnering with senior executives to say, you know, here, I'm going to promote your piece of work. Yes, so that's really for me to do. But I need you to tell me that story first. And then when you think about, you know, thought leadership and the articles that senior executives write, especially creatives, they do need a partner to mm-hmm. edit and place that story and for speaker placement to pinpoint where the person should be speaking and to prep them and rehearse and, you and know, just there's even, a real partnership that goes on. And having just an objective point of view as we, and like 
I understand why you wrote that, but it comes across as you're a bit yes. of an asshole. Yes. You know, like, oh, yes. I know you don't, because I know you, I know that's not what you meant, but you're having a bigger audience now who doesn't know you. We have to make sure that we're shaping this to who you, who you really are and who that's you right. want to be sort of in the, in the outside world. So I think it's, in, yeah, it's such an interesting job. And I've even known with my little podcast, I am the worst personal PR person in the world like it take it used to take me three weeks to build up the courage to put something on Instagram because really well especially because it's called Essie's Hour of Love like my name is in the title I just find it all really um like I'm basically saying hey come listen to me talk to someone for an hour you know and I really struggle with that concept and yet I can't help but do it I just love doing it and um so it's I thank goodness for my two friends that helped me with the podcast. Otherwise, uh, no, I would not have one listener. I don't think. Well, I'll, I'll say this, and I and I like to say this to the clients that I work with as well. You know, you have to think of it as um, less of I'm promoting my brand and more of I'm going to share content that people are interested in. Right. And that's the difference between being cocky and arrogant and being helpful, right? So with, you know, just think about it that way. So you're bringing stories to light for people that may influence the decisions they make or the avenues they take. Um, And once I think you you switch switch that mindset, and I tell people that too. It's hard. Oh, I don't want to write that article. I feel so weird about it. And... Well, don't feel weird about it because you have something to say. Yeah. And also, how many articles have you read today of someone voicing their opinion? I mean, we all wake up and Mm -hmm. read. And I mean, I'm the first one to listen to. I could listen to three podcasts a day of of people doing this similar thing. So it is it is true. It's just I think when you're feeling that little bit insecure or not as confident, this part of your brain takes over and goes, who the hell do you think you are? (laughs) (laughs) Not good. Um, So I did read. Uh, this morning. Yes. That that at 25 you got quite sick. Yes, I did. So I I can't I, if you don't mind I'd love to hear a little bit about that process but first off though because about love um had you by the time that you got sick which we'll go into when you're 25 had you had much of an experience with dating and love life and Yes. Um you know I was young. I mm. was really young. Um but I had a boyfriend all through high school for the most part. I had a boyfriend for much of college. Um, I was single when it happened. I was dating. But, you know, at 25, I was, I was having fun in the city. I was living in Manhattan, and I had, you know, a few roommates. And no one really had that kind of pressure, I don't think, in New York in the same way you do maybe outside of Manhattan to settle down and have a family. I mean, people certainly did it, but at 25, that felt really young for my group of gals. Yeah. Um, So I was very, very single when that happened to me. So what what happened? So um, I was working at my first job. I was already tracking really well and starting to be successful. I'm two years in and I had already been promoted and I was I was really happy and I was enjoying my life in New York and um, and I had a cough and I didn't really think too much about it for a while because I was a smoker at that time and you know you're running around you're working hard and you're going out at night and 
Um, and I ignored it for several weeks and then it just got really bad and you know, I felt like, okay, I probably have bronchitis, you know, I, and I don't even have a doctor in New York, so let me find a doctor. And my mom called one of her childhood friends, um, and she said, you know, we've got this great doctor. He happened to have been on the same street where I was living, so it was very easy for me to go see him, Dr. Ronald Rudin. And, um, and I went to see him, and he had a gut feeling to take a chest x-ray. And he gave me cough medicine and, you know, antibiotics and all that, too, um, and sent me home and asked me to come back the next day for the x-ray, which I almost didn't do because I felt like, oh, this is ridiculous. I'm fine. But I did go. And after I took the x-ray, the technician handed me my pictures and asked me to go around the corner to see Dr. Rudin. And Dr. Rudin looked at the pictures and said, you've got a chest mass. And, you know, things from there move very, very fast. I mean, a, the next a day, chest. a chest mass, a tumor, a mass of tumors oh, wow. from my um, abdomen through my neck, which was Hodgkin's lymphoma. And we didn't at first know it was Hodgkin's. I okay. went through a series of tests and biopsies. And, and how, are you, how are you feeling right in that moment, though, when you've just found out that shocked yeah. I mean you, you know there's there's nothing that can prepare you at age 25 because you you have a feeling like you were never gonna get sick you're you know you're so young and you don't know anyone who's been through something like that so for me it was it was quite shocking and I had a lot of support around me and the love of my family and friends and I took three months off to do treatment, and once those three months were completed, I felt like, you know what, I'm just not going to sit around. I'm going to go back to work, and I went back part-time, and, you know, it took a full year to get me back on my feet, and chemotherapy, and radiation, and really amazing doctors, but um, it quickly passed, and it's, you know, a huge part of who I am, and you know, a, a touch point for me when things are bad to, you know, realize right. that I was once very sick and that I'm super lucky to be here, knock wood, really healthy and um, just very fortunate to have also had great health care and to be in New York City around, you know, the best doctors in the world for this. So, but a very bad time in my life, for sure. And it was there... Uh were there moments where it wasn't looking good, like that this was pretty touch and go, or, or it never went there, or, you know? So, you know what's really weird about cancer is that the worst that it was was at the beginning, but you look progressively sick. So I was on a lot of steroids that made me very swollen. The drugs. The yeah. drugs make you pale and sick and you lose your hair and like, so. Oh, you went through the whole oh, deal. Oh, I went through oh, yeah. the whole thing. Oh, so, wow. Did so you like, do the scarf? Sorry. I did a scarf. I did a wig. I love the, I I, for some reason I love the scarf. Oh yeah. my gosh. It's, you know, I, I think at 25 it's harder probably because your peers don't understand no. like you can't just go to a pub and and you know people think okay well she has cancer, cancer and like, no. just you know ignore it 
Um, and I think now, you know, when I go out and I see a woman with a scarf around her head or even shaved bald, you know, you look and you understand that that's what that is and you move on, you know, and I think there's a lot of pressure when you're that age because you feel so uncomfortable and yeah. self-conscious. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I am not, this is completely, utterly not on the scale of what you went through, but I had Bell's palsy where I, I lost half mm. my face and at, at, at 20, wow. 22. So it's just a visual thing that you're, that people really, uh, not struggled, but it, it was an impact to have conversations yes. with people. It took them, it took time for them to get over that and to just talk to me yes. again, which I, which I think I've been in exactly the same situation with others. So yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. So, because how much did your confidence, um, how was it getting back into the the dating world after such an experience? Yeah, I met someone. I met someone right after I was diagnosed, getting better. Oh. But but it wasn't. Um, I mean, it was a bad choice for me. I feel like you know he was a very good looking guy, but poorly spoken and just not the right fit for me long term but it was very good for my self-confidence because he was a good looking guy and you know and I think um it took me a good couple years to even get in a place where I could make a decent choice because you're you're healing I mean your your body has to heal you know, I had a catheter in my chest that had to be removed. You're very self-conscious of your scars at first. Your hair's not grown back. I was still puffy from the prednisone. So, and then, you know, in your in your head, you're kind of messed up because right. you're like, "Why me? And can I have kids?" Ah, you know, it's just. So it took me, you know, support groups and therapy and to really get myself back on track. Isn't it amazing that? It's like, isn't it enough that you're just sick and you get better? But then there's this whole emotional side of it yes. that you're like, fuck off. Like, I yes. just <laughs> dealt with this other thing and now I have to now heal, you know, emotionally and physically. It's incredible. But you know what? I think, I think you're in such shock and you're going through such a crisis that you can't focus on the mental part. I, I, no. I feel like if I focused on the mental part, I probably would have been destroyed. You have to, Like you know, survivor mode? Yeah, yeah, I went into survivor mode. And all the doctors and nurses will talk to you about that, like the, you know, the power of positive thinking and guided imagery and meditation. And you have to keep a positive outlook. And I took that very seriously. But then when it's all, you know, all over, you're left with that, internal scar yeah of what the hell just happened what just happened and am I going to be okay is it going to come back and then you go through that you know just like the why me but then shit what you know what if it happens again what if I get a secondary cancer like and you go through all that and you really have to learn how to just have the confidence that you're going to be okay and it doesn't help that at the beginning you have to go to the doctor and have those tests every three to four months so it's like this reminder yeah. of and a, a sort of a, a slightly constant fear right yes that it's going to come back because it's so raw yes. at that time yeah it took me a long time to be able to cough or 
you know, have like a little pain somewhere without thinking like, oh my God, I have breast cancer or, oh you know, I'm coughing. So it's back again. Well, that's your experience. Yeah. That's what. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so th- take me through the, your, your experience of love and because I have just met a lovely man that, that has just left here called Mark. Yes. If he minds saying his name. Oh, anyway, I love anyway. saying his name. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm just saying if he doesn't mind. No, he won't though. mind. He won't uh, mind. He's used to this uh, by yeah. now. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I have, uh, from a little birdie who recommended you for the podcast, yeah. um, she mentioned that, that this was sort of a long time coming. Yes. Um, so can you can you take us through yeah. through that journey that you've been on and yeah. now with your sure. big smile on your face that yes. you've met Mark? <laughs> yes. So I'm just going to shut this window though, if that's okay. Oh yeah. Is I, it too, it's, it's too loud. Here, let me do it. Yeah. Let me do it. Thank you. No, no. No, 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 no. I think it adds uh, it adds flavor. That was New York noise. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, yes, so I, I have had um, an easy life in some respects and not in others. So, you know, very blessed to have my health back, not so blessed to be sick. Um, very blessed to have love in my life right now. It's been a long, long, long road to love. So, you know, people who know me, I think, are exceptionally happy for me because, um, it's been a tough thing for me to find love. So, you know, my friends have gone through kind of a few waves of I'm getting married, you know, once in like late 20s, early 30s, and then kind of in the mid 30s to 40. And it just never happened for me. And then there's the remarried, you know, and then there's there's the divorce and there's the remarried. And I'm watching that. I'm like, shit, I haven't (laughs) even done it once for God's sakes. Um, There have been a few people who I've loved in my life who will remain nameless. Um, And, you know, I would say one person I was in love with before Mark um, that didn't work out. And, you know, when you really fall in love hard, I think you also realize what was missing from what you thought was... Your previous. Real love. Right. And... um, and I, looking back, I feel like I definitely cared for people, but there was no love like this love in my life before he came along. Um, I think he's a very special person. You know, I never thought I'd meet anyone like this. So how, so how did you meet him? Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a nice story. So Mark and I are in the same business where, you know, he's on the creative side of the advertising industry, and I've always been on the PR side. Um, We could have crossed paths and didn't. Um, And we met over a year ago on Tinder. Wow. And, you know, I had been online dating since the beginning of online dating. I bet. You're a New York woman. I'm a New York woman. I mean, I was doing internet dating or personal dating when it was personal dating in New York Magazine, and you would write in, like, the Pina Colada song. Like, seriously. (laughs) So... Um, so I had done a lot of that and I had met some nice people and I, you know, I used it as a way to just expose myself to new people that I might not have met in my own life. Um, and then Mark popped up on Tinder 
swipe right. He's absolutely, you know, handsome and adorable. And, you know, and then I learn about his story, which is, you know, that he's here in New York on a freelance assignment, strike one, um, that he, you know, he lives in Chicago, strike two, and strike three, you know, he's finalizing a divorce. So, oh, you know, so I agree to go out with him. Can I, what phase are you at in life at this moment? Are you like, I'm committed to finding someone? Are you, I'm just, I'm over putting so much emphasis on finding love. I'm like, just going to go with the flow. Like, where's your headspace at this moment? Ironically, it's where people always said it would be when I met somebody, which is I don't give a damn anymore. I'm making my own money. You know, a couple years ago, I decided to take my own vacation for the first time in life. And it actually changed my entire mindset because I felt like I had always been waiting for something. Like, oh, I got to wait for the boyfriend to have the vacation. Or I have to wait for my, you know, guy to, like, go to a show. By the apartment. By the apartment or... And then I started saying, you know, I don't need anybody. I actually don't. You know, I want somebody, but I'm going to go on vacation by myself and I'm going to have a great time. And I don't have problems meeting people and I'll just talk to people and enjoy myself and read some good books and read some books and get some sun. And once I started doing that, it kind of shifted my, my mindset on, on things. And I just felt like, well, it'd be, it'd be great, but if it doesn't happen and it probably won't happen, that's okay too. Um, I have an amazing, incredible therapist who, um, who once said to me, you have to bake your own cake and the cake is great on its own and let the guy be the frosting. Right. And the frosting is makes the cake that much more special, but you can have cake without frosting. I like it that you went to frosting. I went to, he could be the good cup of tea next ah, to the cake. Yes. <laughs> but yes. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. But that's the exact yeah. right sentiment. And, and Mark came at a time when I didn't, um, I didn't need somebody. I wanted somebody. And, and I turned him down. I turned him down three times. We set three different dates, and I um, I waited until like an hour or two before each of those three dates. You did not. And chickened out of it. And I and Mark. Wait, why are you chickening? Because out? I felt like he's not divorced yet. He doesn't uh, live yeah. here. I, what am I doing? What am I yeah. doing? It's a waste of my time. And then after I canceled the third date. He, um, he wrote me a note and he said, listen, we're in the same business, okay? So maybe you could think about this as a business meeting and we could go for a coffee and we don't have to call it a date, but I really feel strongly that we should meet. Good mom. I, I know. And I just felt like, okay, he's such a doll. By the way, I just met Mark and Mark is like... Um, very soft and yes. like he, he's not like powerhouse man walking and like no. so so that sort of surprises me how confident and how like um, I don't know how attractive that is yes he's yeah. hot yeah he's hot he's he's um you know I always said the right guy for me is someone who's strong enough to let me shine in my own right and also strong enough to tell me when to shut the heck up yes and that is Mark I mean he is he is sweet and 
um, and kind and loving. And he's from Montana, so he's got this, like, Western, you know, kind of attitude. But, um, but he knows when to get strong. He really does. You, you know, I, I think a lot about that because um, yeah. I, I think you, to have someone sort of tell you when you're being not great or, mm-hmm. you know, is a, quite an amazing thing. But you have to, the amount of respect you have to have for that person to be able to do that yes. to you and for, for, for you to go, yeah, you're right, yes. is really interesting. Because not everyone, just because someone tells you that you're being a little shit does not mean you hear that or no. that you respect it. It only can be from someone that you you know where it's coming from and that, That's right. and, and that you love that about them. Yeah. And we've both said to one another, you know, when when you give me feedback, I take that seriously, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, so fourth time in, we, um, we agree to meet, and I would only meet him for a drink, not for dinner. And I sat at the Gramercy Hotel restaurant, Mylino. She's very beautiful. Lovely spot. Lovely spot. And I had dinner by myself at the bar on a Saturday night because I would not meet him for dinner. Oh, so and after he waited drink. on the other side of the hotel, and I was late, by the way. So Hang on, wait, you're both in the hotel. I didn't tell him where I was having dinner. I just said I have a dinner. I have a dinner. And I um, and I wasn't trying to be mean. No. I just didn't want to like him. I just didn't want that situation for myself. And so, you know, I finished dinner. I was completely late for our date. And Mark's so lovely. He's sending me texts from across the hotel saying, oh, I found a great spot. And you're late for a date when you're in the same place having same dinner place. by yourself. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Um, and... And again, I mean, I didn't, I didn't do it to be mean. I just didn't no. want to. I didn't want to like him. I didn't want to, you know, go into that situation. And um, and we met for a drink, and that was it. I mean, I was done. No, okay, I, but you, yeah, but done. So you, you, I would like more. You, so you okay. So you, you walk. So I in. walk in. He's adorable. He's so sweet, and he's so kind, and he has this lovely little spot. And, um, and we just have effortless conversation and, um, and at one point he said, so I'd really like to see you again. And I said, great. How's tomorrow? Which was completely unlike me because I almost always like played a little bit hard to get, you know, uh, I would never say something like that to make me appear to be too eager and we had we had brunch the next day, and we've been inseparable, like absolutely inseparable. Fell in love very hard, very quickly. We actually did, um, I think, two or three three weeks in. Those questions, those oh, New York Times, did the um, the uh, is it like thirty six questions? Modern love, yeah, 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 yeah. that modern love thirty six yeah. questions. We did, yeah, those and then questions. you have to look at each other in the eye for four minutes yeah. afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and you can fall in love with. With, it's at 36 I wish I I mean I've read the article yes I've, I think it is so 36 much. questions yeah, yeah. Um, but, then, you, but know, you know, we were already kind of in love before you we did that falling, you we were falling we were falling yeah I kind of knew right away and he says he did too we so just what was what, what did that feel like no so you're sitting there and all of a sudden your voice it's just coming out saying let's see let's catch up tomorrow yeah which is not normal what what 
what was it? Could you explain that sort of feeling that that you were having while you were there, or it sort of just took over you? I just liked him. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't like I fell in love at first sight. No. I just liked him so much, and we just had, you know, really nice dialogue and connection. And I, I just wanted to snuggle up to him. You know, we just we just clicked and. The next day we had brunch and what, we walked um, the city and we talked and I remember him dropping me off and I said I have you know I have to walk my dog and Caesar and um, who's here by who's the way who's here who's sleeping with his tongue out <laughs> yeah. my little angel um, and I had him drop me off and I remember him texting me when he got back to his apartment. Um, and he said, oh, you know, I had a great time and I wish I didn't have to leave. And I said, oh, I wish you didn't leave. And he said, well, should I come back over? And I, you know, I held off. But but we were very inseparable after it. I mean, any day that he was in town, he was back and forth and still is. We are back and forth to Chicago because his kids are there. Um, but every moment that he was in New York, we were together. Was that nice as well, though, that because you felt so um, wanted to be in each other's company all the time that, that he did actually go away so you could have that little... No, I hated it. No, you it. hated it? Oh, I hated this it. Isn't funny? My, in my brain, I'd be like, no, it's good. No, I hate it. You know, with Mark, I hate it. I, I've, I've always been independent. You know, I get blue when he leaves for a few hours or he goes home and I start counting, you know, like he's going to fly to Chicago because he's got his son this week and he'll fly out on Monday and I don't get there till Thursday and I'll start counting. Well, it's like three nights by myself. Um, yeah, I don't like it. Wow. Like it. That's so sweet. I don't like it. But I've never been that way. No, that, yeah. I can because imagine. Because I was very independent. So it was always like, yeah, you know, go home. <laughs> Um, but we moved in, we pretty much moved in together at the beginning really in a really fast way because he was he was here temporarily um, and I want to say like two months in three months in to um, to our relationship I just said there's no point in you having clothes at the apartment because you're you, all we do is go back and forth for your clothes just put it in my right. closet and um, yeah yeah Mark Taylor He's, he is my dream come true. He is absolutely everything that I um, I wanted, and I'm so glad I waited for him. I'm 46. I'm going to be 47 May 3rd. And, you know, I wish I could have told the younger Adrian, like, he's coming. Enjoy this part, and don't worry about it. Like, he's definitely on his way, because it would have been a lot easier. So... Let's go back to when you were like, say, 33, mm -hmm. and the biological clock is mm -hmm. ticking. Mm -hmm. um, were you, were you wanting kids? Were you what? Yeah. I've always wanted kids. I've always wanted children. That's the hard part, you know. Is all of a sudden you're like you're 47 and you feel 32 and you're like, but I'm not 32 and. You know, it's risky and you can't and he doesn't want to and, you know, and I'm very, very fortunate because his children are amazing to me. They're 18 and 15 and um, we get along really well and we have the best time and 
you know, that doesn't always happen in a divorce no, situation. I... It's very rare, you know, and, um, and so, you know, I've always said, if I can't have my own children, I want children in my life. And I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful mm. to have that. That's amazing. Yeah. I also, I would, as a child of a, a divorced family where there has been quite a few stepmothers and, you know, other figures come into my life, yeah. it's very different when the, the person actually wants children in their life as well compared to if they, they're like, hang on, this is nothing of, of what I signed up for. Yes. Uh, because you feel that as a child. You're like, hang on, yes. you're coming into my life. You know, like, you know, it's too... Uh, human beings put into a family situation that both don't want to be there and um and that can that can be really difficult so just even the fact that you that I'm putting words in your mouth but maybe that you feel that it's a slight gift that there are these two children now a part of your life is I'm sure they would feel that no they do feel that and you know um his daughter has said to to Mark I feel like you know, because Adrian doesn't have children, you know, she she looks after us. You know, she has made comments like, I feel like there's a, a special kind of connection for her, um, which is extremely intuitive for mm-hmm. someone, you know, that age. Um, they definitely know. And, she, you know, they show me in their own ways very different, you know, daughter versus oh, yeah. son you know, what gets expressed. But, you know, when I'm in town um, and um, at Mark's place, like, his son sticks around, you know. He sticks around to play board games and, and to go out to dinner with us. He's old? the younger the one. The 15-year-old? Okay, so he could and be out with friends. He can be gone. He could be yeah. out with friends, and he hangs out, you know. And he'll, he'll say to me, you know, if I say, oh, go have a guy's time and, like, go practice your driving, he will say to me, no, you, you should come along. Which is, you know, for me, such a special oh, yeah. thing. Like, you know, he invited me to Thanksgiving. You know, please please have Adrian come for Thanksgiving. And, you know, and his daughter will check in with me or say, you know, say hi to Adrian. And, you know, those are the moments that you know they appreciate you. They feel loved. And they are loved. I love them very much. And, you know, and I'm so thankful every day to have them around, really. That's incredible. Um. So a lot of the time we have I have guests come on to the podcast and they talk about New York and the New York dating and how yeah. it's such a hard it place mm-hmm. and you're in the common sort of theme is also there's always something a bit better mm-hmm. so no one really locks down. I mean, you're still here now, but you've now you've met someone that's actually not really from New York, but you met them in the New York dating scene. Yeah. Like, what... How do you see it now, this New York dating world? And because you've sort of gone through it for, I mean, you've really like rode the wave of even yeah. the shift of even to the online dating world. And um, how do you look at it? Like if, if you had to sort of describe the dating scene in New York. I never liked it. I always felt um, the easy part for me, whether it was online or in person, was meeting because I, I'm very outgoing and extroverted, so it was always pretty easy for me to have a connection or a conversation. Um, I do feel like a lot of the gentlemen in New York um, are looking for, you know, the bigger, better deal. And, um, and the same is true for women, but it's different. Like, I feel on the men's side, 
you know, they're looking for, you know, the arm candy and younger. And I feel on the women's side, you know, um, we're to blame too, because you, you definitely hear a tendency of what does he do for work? Yeah. Is he a good earner? Does he make money? Um, and you know, those are the conversations that you hear when, when girls are talking about suitors. Um, so it is a tough market and I, you know, and I think it's a shame. I, I, the, the digital thing makes it really easy to meet a lot of different people, which is great. But, you know, when you have that going on, it's almost confusing. Like you could need an Excel spreadsheet to keep track of your dates, <laughs> you know, and that's not good either because you never give anything a chance. But for me, I mean, it got me to this. Did you ever consider leaving New York? No. Wow. I mean, now I do. You know, I kind of knew it'd be easier in other markets, but I never seriously considered picking up and going for that purpose. I, I always had too much going on here. You know, I had a good job um, before I started my agency, then I had my agency, and, you know, I wasn't going to pick up and, and just go. But I would, you know, I would date in other places, I had dated people in Chicago before, in London, um, in South Florida. You know, there were there were long distance things that went on. Um, but you know, I I feel like I just wound up in the right spot at the right time. Did you? Um, I mean, you have your own company. You've mm-hmm. you've done very very well for yourself. Yeah. Did you? Do you ever sort of think? Um, and I I know it's like a hypothetical, but if you did had met someone at 28 and had three kids and maybe you maybe you wouldn't have been able to have your own company and stuff like that. Oh, I wouldn't have my own company. Right. For sure. And and for sure I wouldn't have done a lot of the things that I've been fortunate to do. So, I wouldn't have traveled probably even half as much as I have. You know, I've I've been fortunate to work for some global companies and you know, been um privy to, you know, many corporate retreats and things, you know, across Asia and Europe and Canada and through the U.S. And I feel like I wouldn't have been as career motivated. I think I would have been happy to take some time off and be a mom. You know, I think I would have worked once my kids went back to school or once they became old enough for, you know, nursery and things. But um, but I wouldn't have accomplished what I have. It's interesting. A little while ago, I sort of had this like weird moment of like, oh my gosh, I'm a career woman. Yes. <laughs> and I, but I never chose, like, I feel like I never chose to be. It's just, well, that's what's happened in life. Yeah. Like I, I think sometimes that uh, there is this perception that you go, this is the choice I made. And you're like, no, well, this is the, this is sort of what my opportunity was there there hasn't I I haven't met the person that mm-hmm. I want to have kids with or settle down with or whatever and I maybe if I had then I wouldn't be pursuing right. the career thing but but at the moment that's what I've got uh so it's it's I, I love sometimes thinking about it like that I think sometimes we look at people's lives and it goes oh look at all the choices they made I don't know if it's as simple as looking at that. It's like, yeah. look at what the opportunities they've created with what they had. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, too, for a woman, right? Like, I feel like 
women, and this might be slightly controversial, but women make a choice when they meet somebody, you know, to potentially give up career or pull it back a little bit to be a partner, um, to raise children. Men never really make that choice. So, you know, men don't say, well, if I meet somebody, maybe I'll give up the career. Or maybe I won't have gone down a career path, right? They just always take that path. Right. And so, and it's really interesting, you know, because I feel like I would have taken the path, but it would have been different. But it's, it's interesting to think that it's so natural for us as women to think in those two ways when men don't have to. Right. And, and this, I've said this a lot on the podcast, but also men have a big pressure to provide. To provide. That is a part of, of who they are, how they're made up. So, yes, they don't have to choose, they don't have a, as such a providing choice of career or children or you know whatever but they do have if I am going to have a family well then I better freaking provide right so I better go get the great job and keep going on with my career so my kids and my I can help in this whole situation it'll be really interesting though to to see as you know things modernize further if the decision Mm. to provide versus take care of the home will switch according to Who's the best earner? Right. Yeah. Or, right? And who cares? Who gets the most joy out of working? Yes. And, or being home. Right. And, right. and I think that that definitely is, is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find it fascinating because now men and women do have the choice. Right. <laughs> so but what? single women don't. No. No. That's, so that, and, that's, yeah. and that's very interesting to me. You know, so I, I was brought up with um, two parents. My mom didn't go to college. My dad did go to college. My mom was always a career woman anyway. Once we got older, um, she had her own business. She was an entrepreneur. Um, I was always told, you have a choice to go to college, don't go to college, but you're going to be independent. So I almost feel like I never had that choice in my in my own mind right. to okay, well, if I meet someone, I don't have to work. Even if I have kids, I could just, I, you know, I, to me, it was always like drilled into my brain. You will provide for yourself no matter what. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm exactly the, the same. I didn't even, but it was interesting having friends where they're like, oh, I just, and I don't even, I think back in the day I saw it as a bit of a shallow act and now I don't at all. But mm-hmm. some would go, no, I would just really like to meet a man that would, that, will be the provider and yeah. I would love to stay home, create a beautiful home yeah. and raise gorgeous children. And now I look at that and I go, yeah, you would. Like, <laughs> what a wonderful life. And yeah. don't worry, you are, it's, they're going to be busy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like yeah. someone forgot to tell me that was an option. Right. That's how I feel. Well, I think, I think it was thought it wasn't a respected thing at the time. Mm. Oh, you're going to, you're going to be stay at home. Oh, you're not going to, you're not going to use your brain right. to the full potential. Right. Like it wasn't, we, I think there were, there has been a moment where that isn't, that isn't respected either in like female yeah. society. So yeah. Yeah. yeah you it's know, so you know. dangerous though, isn't it? Like even, even if you do decide to stay home, like what if he loses his job? 
you know I feel like it's such a dangerous thing yeah. to I've heard rest of that and then on... the woman uh, you know goes yeah. off and because she had a pretty good career before yeah. the, the children came so they take I think what I ultimately love hearing is the couple that through those hard times um, mm-hmm. have been able to, to work it out yeah and that and because I could imagine that that's quite demasculating, right. and that would be really hard when right. you have when your role in this relationship is to provide, yeah, and you can't at this moment you can't. Uh, so then the woman who has given birth, raising the children, and has run the home is mm-hmm. now going to to do that. that mm-hmm. I think that would be really a, a difficult path, yeah, yeah. And, and a very a big man to um, to kind of go with it, yeah. But I'm we I, I do I am talking so much in stereotypes that, that sometimes it's it, who, it's who hard. Well, it's it hard, really is hard. Yeah. yeah. But my final my final question is um, that you obviously are a very different person. At, so you met him like when you were forty five, Mark. Forty six. Forty six. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> no, forty five is right. Forty five because I turn. I met him in March, and I've had a birthday in... Yes, 45. So you have learned a lot. I I mean, as a a 30... uh, Sorry, 45. Like I mean, you've had a lot of life experiences compared to meeting someone at 25. Yes. Right? Do you find that 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 has also made for a much healthier relationship now because of just... Your forty-five years of life experience, yes, for sure. Yeah, this is a very, um, a very mature, very healthy relationship, and I feel like all of the tools that I've learned throughout my life, watching successful marriages, unsuccessful marriages, going to therapy, having my own relationships, have all added up to this moment, and I feel like I am my best self. For him, and I feel like he brings his best self with all of his life experience to me. Amazing. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. Thank That's you. so cool. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me.